0: turn to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. We're in a series right now that we've uh, titled Jesus, First Place in Everything. And if you remember last week, we gave a, uh, an introduction to the book and even had the opportunity of reading through the entire book itself. And so we're going to pick up uh, right at the beginning here in, in Colossians chapter 1. We, we, we uh, kind of lint ourselves a little bit towards verses 1 and 2, and so we're not going to spend any time on that, but we'll start in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 8. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now this is, a, this is a Thanksgiving passage really because Paul is expressing his thankfulness for the church. And uh, you know we normally think of Thanksgiving and thankfulness um, unfortunately only around one time of the year. And that's November when we celebrate the national holiday. But really thankfulness should be something that we're all about all the time and uh if if I don't know what you do during Thanksgiving, but I know my wife um, in years past she has she has made a Thanksgiving tree on the wall where it's you've got this tree and the branches going out, and then the the leaves are detached and Every day each person writes a little uh, something on the leaf of what they're thankful for. And then you take the leaf and you go attach it to the tree. You tape it on there. And this thankful, thankful tree, this thankfulness tree, Thanksgiving tree grows. And you have all this stuff on there that you're, that you're thankful for. Well, that should be us really all the time. Of people who are thankful and always thankful for what God is doing. And for Paul, if Paul was going to make a thanksgiving tree and hang it in his mobile office as he was so often traveling, his thankful his thanksgiving tree would include churches and people. We often include physical things, and we should be thankful for those. But for Paul, he was always thanking God for churches. He was always thanking God for people. And specifically thanking God for the work he was doing in the lives of people and in churches. God was using the gospel to transform lives in communities and churches, and Paul never ceased giving God thanks for how he was working. And I wonder, as we look at our, at our own lives, can, are we people who are thankful for how God is working in the lives of others? Do we thank God for how the gospel has come to the people in this church how the gospels even come to us. Can we be people who are thankful how the, the gospel is, is working and shaping and, and, and guarding our hearts in the hearts of others? Now when it says Paul is praying here, uh, the Jews uh, traditionally played, prayed three times a day. It would be morning, midday, and evening. And he says we always thank God. So apparently Paul had maybe, we could say, some sort of a prayer meeting where he would invite other people to come and pray for him. Pray with him for the churches. And that's what they would do. They would get together and pray for the churches and for people. Uh, Here Timothy, obviously we learn from verse 1, he says he's with Timothy. Timothy was obviously part of this prayer meeting and other people could have been a part of it as well. But they prayed for the saints at Colossae, those who were set apart by God to do his work and to be his. And so this morning, what we want to focus on, we want to look at three blessings that should always capture our hearts with thankfulness. Three blessings that should always capture our hearts with thankfulness. And we're going to pull them right out of this passage. And the first one is the simplicity of gospel living. The simplicity of gospel living. We get this in verses 3 through the verse, uh, first part of verse 5. Where Paul says we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now I want you to notice here Paul starts by he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't congratulate them. No, he thanks God for them. He thanked God for them. He wasn't saying, oh, I'm so proud of you, church, you're doing such a good ch- job. No, he looked at what was going on in the church at Colossae, and he said, man, thanks be to God for you. He didn't pat him on the back or congratulate them. I think that's just so important to, to realize. It's as if he's saying, without God, do you realize that without God, without the Lord, you would not be who you, who you are right now? Uh, it's, it reminded me of the old uh, John Newton uh, back in the 1700s is, is uh, famous for this, for, these, uh, for this phrase where he says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Just that, that understanding that, man, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I should be as a Christian. But I'm, I'm, I'm further ahead than where I once was, and by God's grace, I am what I am. And that's what Paul is saying, man, by God's grace, you are what you are. And he, he thanks them, because he heard of their faith, their love, and their hope. And we have that, that phrase, faith, hope, and love, or in this passage, faith, love, and hope. So this, those three words, faith, hope, and love, or faith, love, and hope, they're not, you know, they're not just meant to be tattoos and look good on, on, for wall decor. Um, it's actually a summary of the Christian life. And that's where I get this first point of being thankful for the simplicity of gospel life, because that's what these three words are. They're a summary of the Christian life. We, we see this a number of times in, in, uh, in Scripture in the New Testament. Uh, Paul would talk about it in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. But then Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And chap- uh, verses 21 and 22 all include this, this, uh, this Christian triad. These, these, this Christian summary of the Christian life. So let's just walk through these. So he says, since we heard of your faith. This has to do with your identity. Saving faith is a faith that turns from self and trusts in Christ. So it's it's the bridge. Faith is what bridges the sinner to Christ. So it's not just believing just to believe. I've heard people tell me in the past that, well, as long as you believe in something, that well, just doesn't make any sense. You know, as long as you believe in something, then you're going to go to heaven. As long as you believe in something, then you're going to be good good with God. Well, well What sense does that make? Because we all believe so many different things. And so what Paul is saying here is this faith is what connected them to Jesus Christ. It was a turning from self and a total trust and dependence on Jesus Christ. It wasn't just knowledge. It wasn't just knowing who Jesus was. And it wasn't just emotion. It wasn't even the fact that they perhaps were even emotionally gripped by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it was action. Now, knowledge and emotion are important parts of being saved, but thats it's not what being saved is. Yes, you need to know who Jesus is. And yes, there needs to be that conviction in your heart that this, yes, this is real. This is true. This is who Jesus is. You must trust him. But then there's that third step of going beyond just knowledge and going beyond just emotion and conviction to saying, I turn to him. I trust in him. He is mine and I am his. And that becomes our identity. So we ask ourselves, in and what, in what do we totally depend on for forgiveness and eternal life? What do you totally depend on for forgiveness and eternal life? Next thing he says is Love. So faith has to do with our identity. Love has to do with the fruit of our faith. They had a love for all the saints. Now I think this isn't just they loved every saint everywhere in a general idea. Um, of course I, there would be that. But I think really what Paul's talking about is they had a very specific and intensive love for the saints in the church. And maybe the other churches and the sister churches in the area. But those within the church. Others they came in contact with. It was, It was... It was this love that they had for the entire church. And notice the word all. Because, you know, we can get by and say, well, you know, I love I love a handful of people. I, I love most of the people in the church. You know, that's, that's good enough. I mean, I can't stand, you know, these people over there or those people over there or this group or that group or those few individuals. That wasn't it. They had a love for all the saints. There was that there was that self-sacrificing, non-selective love, and that's what scriptural love is. It's a non-selective, sacrificial love. Or even Galatians five thirteen, Paul would say would say, "Through love, serve one another." That's where you get sacrifice from. You can say, you know, you can say, "I love you," all you want, but but you know, if it doesn't show up any other, if it doesn't show up through works and service, it's not. You're not going to convince anybody you love them. Even on today on Valentine's Day, you can say, I love you to your spouse all you want. But if, but if all they get is, is one thing or a couple things on Valentine's Day, but there's no, there's no sacrifice, there's no service, there's no, there's no warmth throughout the rest of the year, then to be honest with you, those, those gifts are pretty much trash. And so we need to understand that this love is, a, is one that plays out in experience. And then he mentions here this hope. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, it's this foundation of faith and love. And here's the wonderful thing about Christian hope. It's not just about the future, but it's, it's the present, right now attitude, and eager expectation of what's to come. So Paul is kind of like with this hope, you can say, man, I can live by faith. I can live by faith in Jesus Christ right now because of what's to come. Because my hope and my inheritance is in heaven. Even beyond that, you can say, I can love and serve people. I can love and serve others because of the hope and the inheritance that I have in the future. That I don't have to worry about this world now. I don't have to worry about my life now. I can give myself fully to Jesus and to others as well. He is my hope. And we have to guard against setting our hope on anything else. If you've ever read the the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, this was something. It was a compilation of articles put together. Uh, he wrote them in 1941, then put them into a book in 1942. Uh, but but I want you. It, the Screw Tape Letters is about a uh, a higher ranking demon writing to a, a lower ranking demon and giving him advice on how to um interact with this Christian and how to get him to 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 tempt him and to get him to sin and all these things. Well in one of these letters from Screwtape to Wormwood, which is the name of this lower-ranking demon, notice what he says here. He, he's talking about the Christian hope. And he says, so inveterate is the Christian's appetite for heaven that our best method at this stage of attaching them to earth is to make them believe that earth can be turned into heaven. Whether it's some future date, whether by politics, or eugenics, or science, or psychology, or whatnot. Real worldliness is a work of time, end quote. Now just think about that. Real worldliness is a work of time. And I think that's that's perfectly... Uh, tells us what it is that Satan is doing. If he can get us to think that we can create heaven on earth as Christians, then he's got us. He's got us. And this is 1942, and he mentions things like politics, or science, or psychology. And we could throw a number of other things in there for us. But if we get caught up in trying to make earth heaven... We're going to lose sight of our, the simplicity of gospel living. Faith, love, and hope. That is the simplicity of the Christian life. It's the simplicity of gospel living. It doesn't mean it's easy, nor does it mean that we can just do it on our own. It's not what, that's not. What, when I say the word simplicity, that's not at all what I'm implying. But what I'm saying is it's so simple, you don't have to add anything to it. There's nothing you have to add to Jesus for your life. And we get that if you look over in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7. This, Paul will say this eventually. He says, "Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." What is Paul saying there? Just as you received him, so walk in him. So there's not a difference. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ that it depend totally on him for eternal life, so walk in that same attitude. That Jesus is everything. That Jesus has first place in everything. That's the simplicity of gospel living. So many people are working their fingers down to the bone trying to create a gospel-centered life. We can work our fingers down to the bone trying to create a gospel-centered church. But the gospel-centered life is not something you create. It's something God creates in you, and you live out of that. In this false teaching that Paul was talking about, in the false teachings we face today, it'll try to steal us away from the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of gospel living. So we have to be thankful each and every day. It should capture our hearts with thankfulness, the simplicity of gospel living, that there's nothing to add to Jesus Christ. But we can totally trust and depend on Jesus Christ each and every day. And we'll have it. Let's look at the second one now. The second one. uh, The first one is the simplicity of gospel living. The second one is the victory of gospel truth. This is what should capture our hearts with thankfulness every single day. The simplicity of gospel living. And secondly, the victory of gospel truth. Notice in verses 5 and 6. He says, of this you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now the word gospel means good news. and It was actually used in ancient times to describe the report of victory in battle. So when someone came back to, to share that that, the, that they had been victorious in the battle. They described it as gospel, good news. And so that's kind of the idea here, the victory of gospel truth. Paul is thanking God for the triumphal progress of the gospel to the Colossians. I wonder how many of us have ceased to be thankful in how the gospel came to us. Have you ceased to be thankful in how the gospel came to you? Do you remind yourself often Of how the gospel came to you? When's the last time you you recited your story of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe you don't have a story. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, the news for you today is that God wants that victorious gospel to capture your heart so that you would be saved. And it happens by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and trusting him who died for your sins and rose again and he promises to forgive you and give you eternal life. If you are saved, recite your story, tell your story. Sit down for maybe a family devotions and have everybody share their story. And if you don't have kids who are saved, well, then what a great way for them to hear the gospel. But every time a sinner is saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, it is precisely that. It's a victory. God's victory. That he gives to you, and he gives to those who turn to him through Christ. Conversion is how Jesus continues to build his church. It's proof that the kingdom of Satan and the gates of hell will not keep Jesus from taking his gospel to those who will receive it. If you are saved and you are a follower of Jesus, it's good news. It's good news. You have peace with God. The condemnation you deserve has been removed. The eyes of your heart have been Opened according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Your debt is paid, like we read uh, three times last week in Colossians chapter 2. The gospel. And notice here it's described as the word of truth. It's a message that could be relied upon that Jesus isn't going to lead us astray, that he's going to give us something on which to stand that no other teaching or philosophy would ever be able to do. It's the word of truth. And that what they received from Epaphras was not a a garbled version of the gospel. Here's a real practical question. Would they receive, would an unbeliever receive a garbled version of the gospel from you? Would they receive something that is kind of the gospel, but maybe not the full gospel? Would it be distorted? Would it be confusing? Do you know the gospel? Could you recite it? This gospel came to them, and Paul here, he, des- he describes it as it coming to them as in the whole world. It's like this gospel came to you, and they, they weren't expecting it. It's just like this victory, this-, this-, this warrior that came and conquered their hearts. Now, I don't know of anyone who has been saved who was um, expecting it. It's not on a lot of people's calendars. People don't say, well, this, this coming Wednesday I'm going to get saved. Normally it's spontaneous. Yeah, maybe they were planning on meeting with a friend for a Bible study or something like that, but no sinner is truly planning on being saved. Like when I got saved, I wasn't really planning on being saved. Probably because I thought I already was. But I, just, I was just going to this power team show to see a bunch of really strong dudes do a, really, a lot of really cool strong dude things. The last thing on my list was that at the end of it, he was going to share the gospel. And that was going to be the moment it clicked where my heart believed for the very first time. Uh, Charles uh, Wesley's hymn, "And Can It Be, puts it perfectly when it comes to this. Where he says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's light, night. And then notice there he says, he says, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. That quickening means it made, it made me alive. So God sent this light, and it says, and He says, Thy and I diffuse the quickening ray. He says, I woke, and that dungeon filled with light. That's the idea of being saved. It's just God's light comes in, and you see it, and you believe it, and you trust it. And it transformed them. Notice here it says, They were bearing fruit. They they had a share in the worldwide action of God, and not only did it bear fruit among them, but they themselves were bearing fruit outwardly. And this is what happens when people hear the truth. And this is why we can't give garbled messages of the gospel or garbled versions of the gospel. Because when the g- people hear truth, God, God's spirit uses his word to convict and transform hearts. And we leave it all to him. This is a reminder also that the gospel is universal. Like we read in Revelation chapter 7 verse uh, 9 and 10. It's the whole world that is bearing fruit. All over the place. If you're saved, it's because Jesus has conquered Satan and sin and death. It's because Jesus has done it. On the cross, in your place. This also means that there's nothing else that can take the place of Jesus in being the answer to your Christian growth. To your day-by-day victory to the moment-by-moment victory over sin. If Jesus was the one who died on the cross, giving you victory over Satan and death and sin, that means Jesus is the one who every single day will be the answer for us. He will be the one who alone can give us victory. He's the one who can transform our lives. Are you thankful that every single day that your victory comes from Jesus your victory over, your victory during the day doesn't come from just, just you know, the white knuckle, gritting your teeth, just, just getting it done or doing it yourself or doing this or doing that or whatever it might be or plugging this in or plugging that in or, or taking this out and just whatever it is, whatever you have to do to get victory on your own. It's not on you and it's not on me. But it's a victory that comes through faith in Jesus Christ each and every day. This is the victory of gospel truth. That Not only does it come to you on that moment you believed when that light came in and, and the dungeon flamed with light. But each and every single day. The gospel tells us that we don't have to work to gain victory over our sin. But that has already been won by Jesus, and so what we do is we live out of a victory. Now, yes, even Paul says in Romans 8, he says, put to death what is earthly in you. He says, put to death the deeds of the body. Yes, there is that, that action we take where we, we kill sin, and we forsake sin, and we deny ourselves. But that is, that's something that comes from the victory that has been granted to us in the gospel, It's not something we work at without our. It's not something we do in our own power. It's something that we rely totally on Jesus Christ for. We ought to be thankful for the victory of gospel truth. We ought to be thankful for the simplicity of gospel living. And finally, this morning, the third thing. We ought to be thankful for the opportunity of gospel work, the opportunity of gospel work. Three blessings that should capture our hearts with thankfulness. Number one, the simplicity of gospel living. Number two, the victory of gospel truth. And number three, the opportunity of gospel work. We get that in verse seven and eight. Where he says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, we've met him before. Spent a lot of time talking about him last week. But you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So here we go. We run into Epaphras again. You remember last week we shared a little bit about him. Epaphras most likely was, was on a business trip or something like that to Ephesus when Paul was there for three years. We read about that in Acts chapter 19. Well, while, while Paul was there, uh, he must have gotten saved. And so what he does, he brings the gospel back to his hometown of Colossae, and he begins sharing it with people, his neighbors, his family, his friends, his community. And people begin to get saved. And so now there's this young church. Remember, we talked about Colossae being a a small, dying town. But now we have this young, vibrant church where the gospel and Jesus have first place. And, And Epaphras goes to Paul, who at the time of this letter is in Rome in prison, and he's asking Paul for help because there's a lot of these false teachings out there that are threatening the church. And remember, we can't really land on what the false teaching is. No commentator can land on what specifically the false teaching is. But it seemed like be this thing where you take a little bit of everything and you pour it in a bag, you shake it up, and you just, you know, whatever comes out, comes out. That was kind of the idea, which I think is maybe more, more uh, akin to what's, what's going on in America today, Christianity, all of us were just you know, not all of us, but many Christians today were just kind of taken from that philosophy, we're taken maybe from that religion, from this, from this health and wealth preacher, from this and that, and we're just kind of all throwing it together and, and trying to, you know, just kind of point it out and seeing what works best in my life. This is why we need the book and the letter of Colossians. Because it reminds us that none of that is any good, but Jesus must have first place in everything. Notice how he's described here, Epaphras. He's described as a, as a fellow servant, or maybe your translation says bond servant. It's the Greek word doulos, which means slave. You know Paul is saying he's our fellow slave. What doesn't mean to be a slave. It just A slave of Jesus Christ is someone who is completely dependent and devoted and dedicated to Jesus Christ. That's what it means and this is perhaps something that we aren't naturally thankful for. We're not naturally thankful for this, but it but it but it comes with the the realization that we are dependent on him. We may not wake up and say, "Lord, thank you. I am your slave today. I'm just so ready to do your work. What do you want me to do?" But we need to be thankful that we get to serve Jesus. Man, this, just even as I was reading through this and studying this, this is something that j- just just impacted my heart. How excited am I that I get to serve Jesus? Not that I'm a servant of Jesus. That's, yeah, a lot of us are like, yeah, I'm a servant. No, but that I get to actually serve. I get to get involved in serving Jesus and others. In the Old Testament, as a matter of fact, if you read the phrase, the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, that was a place of high honor. Uh, so, so those who were chosen by God to do his work in the Old Testament, this include prophets, Abraham, Moses, David was referred to it, uh, many of the prophets, prophets were. These were people that were, they were held in high honor because they were chosen to be servants of the great high God. This is kind of where we go back to Jesus. Remember Jesus said so many times, well, if you want to be first, you need to be last. Or if you want to be great, it's actually going to be, the greatest is actually going to be the least among you. Well, this is what he was getting at. You're going to be my slave. You're going to be a servant to all. Jesus said, I, came, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. He was a fellow slave. Notice here, not only was he a fellow slave, he says he's also a faithful minister. Uh, we get the, the word is diakonos. Which, again, that's just the Greek word for, we get our word Deacon. He was, I don't think he served officially in the office of deacon, but the idea here, he was a minister. So if we would say bond servant or servant or slave was his position, minister was his practice. He was involved in maybe some of the, the lowlier work, which Paul, is, again, even at the end of this book, is going to say, man, he is such a hard worker on your behalf. He's praying for you, he's he's working hard for you, that you might be mature and that you might be protected, you might be safe, you might know the will of God. And so we have to be thankful for the opportunity of gospel work. If things become about our agenda and being served, we've missed the gospel. We've missed the gospel. The blessing of the gospel is not that you will become great, But that you will get to serve Jesus. Let me say the the great news of the gospel or the point of the gospel is not that you and I become great. But that we actually get to serve the king of kings and the lord of lords. You may say, well, I don't have a master. I'm not mastered by anyone. Well, it's not really true. Jesus would even say you can't serve two masters. You're you're either going to serve Jesus, you're going to serve God. Or you're gonna serve something else. Money, pleasure. You're gonna be mastered by something. You may be living for yourself, you may not think you have a master, but you have you are being mastered. Affirmation or power. So many, even in the church today, we read this even in 3rd John, are just they're mastered by power. So many in the church today are, are, are mastered by pleasure. Money, whatever it might be, whatever your conscience tells you is your master. But there's something calling the shots in your heart. And the goal of your life, and especially for any teens or children listening this morning, the the, the goal and purpose of your life is not to find your freedom, but to find your master. Who is it that you are going to serve? For the rest of your life, what will call the shots in your life? Will it be the Lord Jesus Christ or will it be the world, your own flesh, your own desires, your own heart? The beauty of the gospel is that you can come to Jesus and he'll give you more joy and more gladness in in his service than you could have in serving yourself. Or serving your ambitions or serving money or serving power. These three things Paul was thankful for, and these are things that we ought to be thankful for in our own hearts. We should be able to look at Jesus and the gospel and see the simplicity of gospel living and be thankful for that. We should be able to see the victory of gospel truth and be thankful for that. We should be able to see the opportunity for gospel work and be thankful for that. And for some of you, the gospel has never been received, and you are lost and you're without God. Well, the gospel is good news that Jesus came to save you if you trust him and depend on him. For some of you, the gospel has been replaced by false messages. Whether it's the philosophies of the world, whether it's the tradition of the world that's behind us, or whether it's some phony future putting your hope in something else like politics or science or psychology. Jesus maybe just isn't enough for you. There's some other system, there's some other rule, there's some other philosophy, there's some other way to be spiritual or mature other than Jesus Christ, but it's failing you and you're discouraged because you think that's God, but it's not. Think through these blessings. Think through these blessings, the simplicity of gospel life, the victory of gospel truth, the opportunity of gospel work, and grow in your thankfulness for them. Let your, let your heart be captured by them and just continue to grow in your thankfulness for these things. The simplicity of gospel living, the victory of gospel truth, the opportunity of gospel work. Let's close in prayer and we'll be dismissed from our, our live stream. Lord, we, just, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. We thank you uh, for these things. We thank you for the simplicity of gospel life not that it's easy all the time, and not that it's so easy we can do it on our own, but that you're, just, you're not asking us to, to go get other things and bring them to the table when it comes to you and your gospel. We thank you for the victory of gospel truth. That, that diffusing ray of light that you send into our hearts, it helps us see and to know the gospel. And you're not asking us to try to win victory on anything else, but other than to stand on the foundation of the gospel in Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Savior, and to live life out of that. Lord, thank you for the opportunity for gospel work. You've called us to this work. We have the privilege of serving the King of Kings. Lord, so often we're not ready to serve. My heart's not often ready to serve. Lord, make us servants, humble and meek. Help us to be those who are willing to give of ourselves for the sake of others. Bless the people who have been watching online and Lord, as our church is not together, uh, give them a great warm day uh, with their families. Lord, whether they have a valentine or not, it really, doesn't, it really isn't the point of today. But Lord, whether they have you. So Lord, I pray that you'd give comfort to those who maybe feel alone on days like today. Bring couples together who are in strife. And Lord, may we all live for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.